0: Have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the little letter of 2 John, which we began looking at a couple of weeks ago, really in a series that I've given the title Hold Fast. Uh, Both 2 John and 3 John, uh, the Apostle John urges believers to be steadfast in their devotion to truth and in the love that they have for one another. And these Two little letters are the shortest epistles in the New Testament, but just because they're short doesn't mean that their message is not as important as, say, longer books, because the message here is extremely important and so very relevant, especially for where we find ourselves at this particular point in time in our own history. And so the idea here, John issues this call for every Christian to be faithful as it relates to Truth. and and recognizing the fact that we live in a world where deception abounds. And the reason that there's so much deception is because ultimately the father of all lies is behind that deception. Jesus said that Satan is a liar, and he's the father of all lies. And so there is certainly no shortage of lies that Satan has introduced into the world of humanity simply because he wants to keep people blind to the truth. And so, truth, this is a word that John uses quite often in these two little letters. Uh, he mentions it five times through verse 4 here in 2 John. He'll mention it ad- an additional seven times in 3 John for a total of 12 times combined. And the reason he's so concerned, uh, really the, the emphasis in, in 2 John, uh, he's concerned because there were these traveling itinerant teachers whom susceptible, well-meaning believers were opening up their homes to a lot of these traveling itinerant teachers. And these teachers were taking advantage of Christian compassion and kindness and hospitality and were introducing lies. And, and really the Jesus that they were preaching and teaching was certainly not the Jesus uh, that the apostles had been boldly preaching and teaching and declaring the truth of his gospel. And so the truth was coming under attack from those who would corrupt and even twist the message of the gospel. And so John is writing to his little children in the faith, urging them to hold fast to the truth. Don't take the truth for granted. Be uncompromising in in the truth that you've received, the truth that you've been taught. And so that was true in the first century, and it's certainly true even in our own time in a world of isms. And you know what I mean when I say that? Uh, Ideologies, where there are just so many ideologies that that people sort of appeal to and, and sort of make ultimate so as to try to explain their existence, what's wrong in the world, and how to solve what's wrong with the world. A lot of times people appeal to these deceptive ideologies And John says, you need to know the truth. Uh, It's the truth that you need to hold fast to. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. You know, drifting is one of those things that just happens slowly, little by little, incrementally. uh, When we take the truth for granted... And when we don't walk in the truth consistently and diligently, as, as John writes about here in just a moment, we'll see from verse 4, well, there's this very real danger of drifting in your faith and drifting from what you know to be true, especially when you consider the abundance of deception in the world. Now, I want to read through verse 4 once again and and. Uh, Most of what we'll look at this morning, I really just want to just make some application from just verse 4. But notice how John begins here uh, by saying, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. Now, he's getting into the body of his message here with verse 4. Notice he says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So, walking in the truth. I want to speak from that subject this morning. What does it mean when John… Uh, refers to believers who are walking in the truth. This was something that brought great joy to his heart. It says the same thing in verse 4 of 3 John. uh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so when we looked at this last week, I told you that 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 statement in verse 4 could sort of prompt at least a couple of questions. The first question being, what is the truth Because John is speaking of truth in very definable, specific, and objective terms. What is the truth? And then the second question, what does it mean to walk in it? So before we can even answer the second question, we need to know what he's referring to by means of that first question, what is the truth? Well, we took time last week and we dealt with that. He's referring to the truth in Jesus Christ. He's referring to the gospel. He's referring to what we know to be the truth as far as Christianity is concerned. Biblical truth. This is the truth. If you want to understand reality, if you want to understand your place in the world, if you want to understand human origins, if you want to understand ultimately what's wrong with the world today, if you want to know how that is being solved in the person of Jesus Christ, if you want to know what the future holds... In other words, your worldview, John says there is the truth, and this truth is God revealed. God has revealed the truth to humanity so that we're not left in the dark trying to figure out our own existence. No, God has sufficiently revealed Himself, both in a general way in in the world around us I was thinking about this the other night. I walked out on our back porch. It was a clear night, and I just was looking at the, just the stars. One of the planets was extremely bright. All of a sudden, something got my attention, and it was a line. I mean, it was a line of bright dots in the sky. I mean, it looked like I don't know what it was. I, I yelled for Anita. I said, "Nina, come out here and look. I think it's one of those UFOs the news has been talking about. But just, I mean, it had to have been 12 or 13 little bright dots just, you know, all lined up. Well, I went to, I did what anybody would do in that situation. I went to Google and started asking, social media, people seeing this same thing. Come to find out it was the Starlink satellites, Elon Musk, you know. And so, I was thinking, you know, that's man-made. But beyond that, I mean, you think of the intelligence behind all of that that went into that. Where did that intelligence come from? The fact that humanity has intelligence speaks of the fact that there is an intelligent creator who has made us in his own image. And he's the intelligence behind the stars. He's the intelligence behind the world we live in. He's the intelligent behind, intelligence behind the design of, of the very fabric of your humanity. And so John is referring to this as the truth, that which explains the nature of reality itself. Truth is what corresponds with reality And that's so very important because we live in a time where people question the truth, and they want to appeal to their own truth, and they want to make man out to be the final arbiter of truth, when in reality God is the one who's determined what's truth. And we need that objective truth. So that's what John is referring to here. And, And specifically, he's referring to the truth of the gospel and how we how we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ who suffered and died for our sin and who rose again from the dead. Thank God for the truth of the gospel. Now, it's interesting, you know, the Hebrew word that's used in in the Old Testament, translated truth, is a word that means reality. Uh, It's a word that's used in Psalm 119. The sum of your word is truth. That is, the totality of your word It's not that we go to God's Word for truths or that God's Word contains truth. No, God's Word is the truth. The sum of your Word is truth. It's reality. It's what's real. And so the Greek word that corresponds with this, aletheia, this is used 109 times in the New Testament. This is the word that's used by John the most. It's the word that he uses 12 times here in 2 John and 3 John. Truth as reality, as opposed to what merely seems to be truth. John's referring to that which enables you to see accurately. And the opposite of this would be deception. So this is why Jesus could say what he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is, he is the truth. He's the very truth of God personified, the truth of God embodied. Now, why why is it important that we understand this? Why am I so passionate about this? And you say, you know, you really seem to be making this point quite adamantly. Because, folks, this is where the battle is in our time. Because the enemy of our souls is waging a war, and the battle is for your mind as to what you appeal to as truth and reality and authority. Because the enemy wants to keep people in the dark. And yet, as witnesses... For Christ, as missionaries, as ambassadors for Christ, we've been sent into the world with the message of the truth, declaring the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting that the Holy Spirit opens the minds of people up to where they understand the truth, eyes which the enemy has blinded. And so that means that evangelism, this is spiritual work, and we're so dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. But man, aren't you glad you can just be confident in the message of the truth, in the message of the gospel? So that's the question. What is truth? Now, what does it mean for us as believers to walk in the truth? Because that's the second question. I really want to spend the rest of our time dealing with this issue. What does it mean to walk in the truth? Reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. So walking in the truth then is ultimately the application of the truth in your own life. Obedience to the truth. Not merely from an intellectual point of view, but... You're fleshing it out, and you're, you're walking in the truth. It's what's bringing direction to your steps, and so the Christian life is very much a walk. Now, you'll find other expressions that are sort of used interchangeably with this same expression, walk in the truth. Uh, uh, for example, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love, even as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Or what about this? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, making the best use of the time. 1 John 1, 7, John dealt with this in his first letter. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, And we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, walking in the truth, walking in love, walking in the Spirit, walking in the light, all of these are expressions that refer to this same principle, that the Christian life is a walk. Now, that does not imply that it's an easy thing. Because how many of you know that walking oftentimes can be quite strenuous? Especially if it's an uphill climb. <laughs> you know, back during 2020, when everybody, everything was shut down, Anita and I really made use of the, the High Point Greenway. And, and it was just part of our daily rhythm during that whole shutdown to just get out and walk. And so, for me, walking kind of gave way to a brisk walk. And then eventually, a little bit of a jog walk and, and, and running. I started taking that up toward the end of 2020. 2020. And on our greenway, there's a lot of inclines. There's a lot of dips, a lot of heels. And at times, a a walk can be quite strenuous. There's a lot of pressure that it puts on your joints. It's a steep climb in places. If you like to hike, you you know what what that's like. It could be tough. Now, you apply that spiritually to your life, the walk of faith, that just because the Christian life is a walk does not imply that the Christian life is easy. In fact, Jesus said uh, the exact opposite of that, didn't he? I mean, what was it that he said? If you go back to… Go to Matthew chapter 7 for just a second and look at what he says here. What is it that he says in Matthew 7 verse 13? Listen to this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter in by it are many. That is, there's a, a superhighway of life. Where that's basically the, you go your own way, live according to your own dictates, walk in your own truth. That's what Jesus is describing there in verse 13. But he says that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are Few. So the Christian life then, by definition and description, it's not something that's easy. It's something that's difficult. Jesus himself says as much. He describes discipleship as being uh, an endeavor whereby you deny yourself and you take up your cross daily and you follow after him. That doesn't sound like an easy thing to me. He's not talking about earning your salvation, that kind of thing. That's not. No, listen. He's already provided that for us through his own death and resurrection, faith in Him. By means of His grace, I'm saved, but walking with Him in a world where there's so much deception. And you add to that this tendency within me to want to live for myself. (laughs) The, the, The sinful flesh still wrestle with that every day, And so you've got the world, you've got the flesh, you've got the devil. These are the three enemies of the believer. And because these three are at war with you and your faith, that's why often the Christian life can be a very difficult walk. But we're making progress by means of God's grace. We sang about it just a little bit ago. He's holding me fast. Even though this walk is difficult, thank God that he's holding me fast. Uh, each and every, some days you may feel like you take two or three steps backward. Other days you feel like you're you're making headway in your own spiritual life. But the point is, and John is dealing with this, the Christian life is a walk, and, and he says that it brought him great joy to hear that believers were walking in the truth. He's writing to this elect lady. We've already said that this is sort of a metaphor for a local church. So he's, he's writing a letter, a cryptic letter, you might could say, to a church. He's had interaction with some members from perhaps this church, and he's seen firsthand that they're walking in the truth. And that was something that brought him great joy in his old apostle's heart. Now, four things that walking in the truth involves. You can write these down. Number one, notice the change that the truth produces. It's the first thing that I want you to see here. John says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Uh, Literally, he's saying that he's overjoyed, exuberant, greatly rejoicing because of what he has discovered. In fact, the Greek word that he uses here, it's a word, churisko, it's the same word we get the word eureka from. Eureka, if you transliterate this Greek word into English, it's that word Eureka. You you know the the story behind that word. Was it Archimedes? I think it was that made the discovery uh, something about the displacement theory. But when he came to that discovery, he shouted out Eureka. It's an aha moment is what that word describes. John's saying, listen, it brought me great joy when in that moment I discovered that some of your children were walking in the truth. And so he's, he's got something to shout about. He's got something to rejoice over. Now, to be sure, not everybody in the church perhaps was living consistently with the truth that they claimed to believe, but many of them were. And so for them, the Christian life was more than just a talk. It was evident by their walk that they were being changed by the power of the truth. Now, some folks want to write the church off because perhaps they've had Some type of interaction with someone that didn't, wasn't, you know, they saw something that was inconsistent in the life of of a Christian, say, well, I'm going to throw out the baby with the bathwater simply because I saw some inconsistency in that one person's life. And so they discredit the church because of certain interactions, perhaps, that they've had with members from a particular church. Now, the fact of the matter is there are far more people whose lives they're living consistently Walking consistently with the truth, in the truth. Aren't you think that there's far more good than there is bad? I think sometimes we just so fixate on the negative. It's easy to fixate on the negative. We live in a culture now that wants to just fixate on the negative. Don't turn on the news anymore because, I mean, listen, it's just bad, bad, bad. And it seems like it really gets our attention when finally you hear something good worth sharing in the news John here is rejoicing over over the good. He's saying, son of your children, I've, I've discovered that they've been walking in the truth. Their lives have been changed and they're living consistently with the truth of the gospel. Reminds me of the same thing that Paul says to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mentioning, uh, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. And he's saying the whole world's talking about what God did by way of transformation in your lives. Has truth changed you to such a degree that your life has literally been transformed by the truth? Romans chapter 1 says that the truth of the gospel is the power of God resulting in salvation for everyone who believes. That's why he says, I'm not ashamed of it, Because why would I ever be ashamed of that which has transformed my life? Why would I ever be ashamed of truth which would save a sinner from his or her sin? And so the enemy wants us to sort of downplay the truth and to soft pedal when it comes to truth and to not be clear when it comes to the exclusive claims of Jesus and his gospel. No, it ought to be a great cause for rejoicing in your life. So, the truth leads to life change. Now, a second thing what does it mean to walk in the truth? Not only does it involve the change that the truth produces, but what about the conformity that the truth requires? John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. That's to say that they're believers. John's had some interaction with whoever these were from the church that he's writing to, but they're walking in the truth. Uh, The word that he uses there means to walk around. It's the word we get the word uh, uh, peripatetic from, which means to travel from place to place. (laughs) He's saying you're growing in the truth. You're walking in the truth. You're being compelled, controlled by the truth. Your life is defined by the truth. They're living it out. It's the pathway that they walk as Christians. In other words, it's established boundaries for their life. It it informs their thinking. It informs their behavior, their decision-making in life. They're they're operating from a biblical worldview. Now, that's the second time I've used that word, but you know everybody has a worldview worldview. And your worldview is basically the grid through which or the lens through which you interpret life in this world. It's the filter that you use. Even unconsciously, the filter that you use behind every decision in your life. And see, the gospel produces such a change that Biblically, biblical truth then becomes the grid through which I process what's going on in the world around me. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. And every worldview really gets to four issues, four questions. The first question is the the question of origin. Where did we come from? The second question gets to this issue of, of what's wrong in the world. Because everybody understands that there's something wrong with the world. Every worldview will have that type of acknowledgement. The third issue is, well, how is what's being wrong, how is it solved? How is the problem to be solved? Salvation. And then the fourth issue is, where, where is history headed? Where is all of this headed? Now listen, there's a lot of people who bought into a story a worldview that says human life is of no consequence because ultimately we're just the product of some random chance. We're here because of some type of explosion that happened eons and eons ago, and so life just sort of randomly mutated into what it is now. And then someone says, well, what's wrong then with the world? Well, some people say the only thing that's wrong with the world is just lack of education and ignorance. And if we could just give people more education about these things, then... We could solve the issue through politics, and we can solve the issue through all of these various pursuits, and ultimately, we're going to create a utopian society for ourselves. There are a lot of people who've bought into that kind of worldview. But a biblical worldview says, no, we understand that we're here not by accident, but because of God. We're here because God has uniquely created us in His own image. And yet we understand that there's something wrong with the world, but the Scriptures tell us what's wrong with the world. Uh, Our first parents sinned against God. Death and sin has now been introduced into the human situation so that the world is broken, and yet it doesn't stop there because a biblical worldview gets to this issue of salvation. Thank God He didn't leave the world in the mess that the world is in because of Adam's sin, but He gave His only begotten Son And whoever believes in him should not not perish but have everlasting life. And then that brings great purpose to life, meaning, because we understand that the, the world is headed somewhere. Where's it headed? It's headed to the feet of Jesus. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to judge the living and the dead, and everybody's going to give an account. And so life is not inconsequential. Your life in this world and the decisions that you make in this world greatly matter because there's coming a point in time when you will stand before the Lord Jesus. And the only thing that will matter on that day is how you responded to His truth. So that's a worldview. Now here's the problem because this has gone on in the church for a long time. There are a lot of people who agree to those facts in their head in the church. But they've adopted sort of this Sunday morning Christianity where the truth of the Bible that John is referring to here, they've sort of segmented their life and categorized their life, and they've got, well, I've got my religion on Sunday morning, but now Monday through Saturday I'm just going to live however I so see fit. And so there's this major disconnect in the lives of a lot of professing Christian men and women. And I would say they do not possess a biblical worldview. If your worldview is, well, I prayed the prayer when I was a child, and things are okay between me and God. But now listen, how I spend my money is my business. Who I sleep with is my business. The choices that I make and how I treat people, this is my business. Now listen, it's evident that Jesus isn't Lord in your life if that's your mentality. I don't care what you say. So John is saying, listen, walking in truth means that you've been changed by the truth. It means that your life is being brought into conformity with the truth. That's why Paul could say what he does in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your reasonable service. He says, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is the will of God. So that means that the world around us is constantly trying to press us into its mold. The world is constantly trying to to get you to think like it thinks, to live like it lives. To behave as if, but John says, or, or Paul says in Romans 12, no, you're transformed by the gospel. And you're being transformed by the power of the truth so that your life is being brought into greater conformity with that of Jesus. And that's the goal that God has in, in your life, and my life. So we face this unconscious pressure every day from a culture And that that, that pressure comes just so many different ways, so many different mediums now, so many different distractions. Someone who's written a lot about this over the years, and I won't get into all of the… Listen, the last two weeks I have read so many statistics that I'm cross-eyed. Barna Research has done so much in the area of worldview thinking and 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 barna his research has revealed that there's just this major trickle down effect from america's christian adults that's impacted the thinking and the lifestyle choices even of america's youngest generation the latest census data says that there are roughly 73 million people who are under the age 18 in the united states that's a lot of kids men and women a lot of young people And so some years back, the the National Study of Youth and Religion undertook what was the largest, most detailed study of teenagers and religion that had ever been done. And, And the findings of that research, those findings were published in a book that was called Soul Searching by a researcher named Christian Smith. Now, some of you may remember this. I think this data is at least more than a decade old. But basically, he said that American teenagers break out into thirds. 33% are regularly religious. 33% are sporadically religious. 34% are religiously disconnected. Now, that's more than a decade old. I guarantee you that those numbers are probably different now. But researchers found that students who were religious were not really able to articulate their faith explain what they believed or why they believed it, and yet they could talk with precision and and detail about pop culture and social media and everything else in the world. But when it came to talking about the basic tenets of their faith, the truth, what they actually believed, they weren't able to say much at all. And so this data sort of led Christian Smith to sort of coin this expression that, that's referred to as moral therapeutic deism. He says moral therapeutic deism now has become the predominant religious view of America's young people. Now what in the world does that refer to? You say, what are you talking about there? Now listen, here's a breakdown of what that looks like by way of belief. A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Now we would say amen to that, wouldn't we? A God who wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Third, it involves the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. It's here we're seeing, we're starting to see a departure here, aren't we? And then fourth, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when He is needed to resolve a problem. And then fifth, good people go to heaven when they die. Now, now that's, that's moral therapeutic deism. So, in other words, God is sort of this nebulous combination of divine butler and cosmic therapist who exist for me rather than me existing for his glory. That's become the worldview thinking of a lot of people who would claim to be Christian men and women. And so Christian Smith, he he summarizes the approach to life this way. Uh, Life, it's be nice and call on God if you need Him. Now let me tell you something, folks. It should absolutely go without saying that it is impossible to navigate all of the pressures and the challenges that life will throw at you with that kind of worldview. If all that God wants for your life is for you to be happy... What is that to say when you find yourself in a crisis moment in life where your emotions are just a train wreck and you wonder which end is up? you got to have a more robust worldview than that. That's what John is saying here when he says you need to walk in the truth. As Christian men and women, understand that truth is something that produces change in your life. Understand that truth means that my life is being brought into greater conformity with with the image of Christ there's a third thing that he mentions here. He says that walking in the truth uh, has something to do with clarity. Notice the clarity that the truth brings to your life as a Christian man or a woman. Clarity. So you get into dealing with all of these cultural issues and social issues now where there are just a number of landmines that the, our young people are having to navigate. Many of you are having to navigate you wonder what in the world is going... You feel like you're living in an alternate universe when you hear the news and, and you see what's being championed by certain segments of our society and you wonder where is all of this headed? How can, I, how can I live Christianly in such a difficult climate? Well, you need the clarity that only the truth can provide. Clarity. Sense of direction. <laughs> John Stone Street... Illustrates this modern self movement this way. He says, Suppose you're lost in a city, but you have a compass that points to true north. That means you can figure out what direction you're walking and you can find where you intend to go. He says, But suppose you have a magnet in your backpack or your back pocket that causes the compass to always point to you. As a result, you are not your own guide. So without a point of reference, you have no idea of the direction you're headed and may, in fact, end up walking in circles. He says, imagine how truly lost people can get when they look only to themselves for their significance and direction for life. So if it's all about me, and if the compass always points to me, how in the world am I ever going to navigate life in God's world? So I've got to have a magnet, a truth magnet, that's pointed to true north, God, and His revelation. If I'm to successfully navigate the world that God has made. And so when you understand life from that perspective, and I'm telling you, that'll bring you clarity. Clarity when it comes to issues of basic gender and sexuality. Clarity when it comes to understanding, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Clarity when it comes to understanding what really is life all about, what matters most in life. Not my whimsical, shifting, changing emotions which are all over the map, but oh, I need need my life to be calibrated to true north. God's truth, and so this is the direction. So this is what it means to walk in the truth. Your life is being changed by the truth being brought into conformity to God's intention for your life, clarity that's brought to your life. Now, one final thing, and I'll just finish with this. What about the community that truth creates? (laughs) John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So notice he's speaking of children. He's referring to God as our Father. He's using plural terms. He's reminding us that we're not in it alone. I'm not left up to myself. I'm not all by myself. Navigating the confusing maze of this life. No, the truth creates a community. The community of faith, the covenant community of faith known as the church. Aren't you glad that you're a part of the family of God as a believer? <laughs> People are just so lonely in our time. We've got all this connection and yet no friends. All of these likes and comments and swipes and retweets, but no real meaningful relationships. But God has something different in mind for the family of faith because the truth has brought us into a community of faith. What is it that binds us together as the truth, as the, as the church? It's the truth, according to what John says. And he says, proof that the truth has done a, a work in your life will be the love then that you have in your heart for your brother and your sister. He's going to spend several verses talking about that. We'll look at that next. It's only the truth of God that brings us together. I mean, how in the world could an NC State fan and a Carolina fan and a Duke fan all get together and have lunch and be in a life group? Listen, it ain't their sports or their college athletics that's brought them together. It's something far better. It's the truth of Jesus. It's the gospel. And that transcends cultural barriers and language barriers and skin colors and ethnicities. Are you grateful for the truth that brings us into this community of faith? So walking in the truth, has your life been changed by the truth? Are you being brought into greater conformity to Christ's likeness in your own life by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is the truth bringing greater clarity to your mind and your heart as you process life in God's world? And what's your involvement as far as the community that truth has created? Are you a sporadic attender? Or are you committed? Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? May we be men and women who walk in the truth, walking in the truth. The only other alternative is to be deceived. And oh, how there are so many that are deceived. Would you bow with me? Number one, if Christ has never saved you, if you've never been saved, then listen, the first step of obedience this morning in your life is recognition of this gospel truth that Jesus Christ... Bled and died for your sins on a cross. Rose again from the dead. And he's Lord. Would you surrender your life to him this morning? Say, Pastor, I want to be saved. How can I be saved? Listen, right there where you are, in an attitude of repentance and faith, cry out to him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe the truth of your gospel. Save me. This I pray. And here in just a moment, you can come and you can let me know about it. You can let Pastor Jonathan know. You can see us after the service, and we'd love to talk to you about baptism, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're interested in membership in this covenant family of faith, this community that the truth has created. We invite you to come. Lord, we need clarity. It's so easy, Lord, for us to get so caught up with life and We get restless at times. But Lord, thank you for this reminder this morning that the Christian life, discipleship, it involves walking in the truth. And how do we walk but just one step at a time? Putting one foot in front of the other. And it's not a matter of our emotion because one day we may feel good and another day we may feel bad. What matters, Lord, is that you're the one who's holding us fast. (laughs) And you're carrying us every step of the way until you bring us home And yet, Lord, you want us to be actively engaged in the world around us because so many people are in the dark, confused, lost. And yet, Lord, we've got the hope. We've got the answer, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so may we share it boldly and confidently and compassionately. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.